oral questions by members. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, anybody who spent a few minutes outside today knows that it was chilly with rain threatening, but it didn't stop hundreds of parents. The legislature lawn was filled today with families who wanted to make sure that every single MLA in this legislature heard their stories. It was that important to them. Some of those families are in the gallery today, including Roseanne Peterson, the parent of two children on the autism spectrum who are thriving under the current system. She points out that wait lists in Ontario have doubled with the introduction of a hub model. Dion Costanza's son has received individualized support for 15 years, and she worries that the hub model will be, and I quote, a disaster. Ella Black is 12 years old, and she has a question on behalf of her autistic brother. She's here today, and she asks, and I quote, why are you taking away the only treatment that helps him and many others?" End quote. Thousands of families across this province have been asking the same questions as Ella. Ella came here today to get an answer from this minister. So today, I'm hoping the minister will do the right thing. Can she explain to Ella why she has decided to dismantle a system that is working for Ella's brother and thousands of children like him across the province. Minister of Children and Family Development. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to Ella for being here today. I do understand the concerns of families who uh, are, are currently have successful packages of services for their children with autism, and I do want to reassure them and all British Columbians that services will continue to be provided to those children. Um, and we will work in partnership with parents to make sure that the unique needs of all of these children are met and will be met. And honourable speaker, children and youth who have a diagnosis of autism will receive services. And so, honourable speaker, will children and youth with other diagnoses who are currently left behind and children and youth who are waiting for a diagnosis of autism can receive services rather than waiting for that diagnosis. Services will be delivered through an accessible, culturally safe, one-stop point of access um, that are wrapped around, uh, based on the unique needs of each of the children and youth. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and the Minister knows that what she says simply doesn't address the concerns of the parents that are here today on behalf of families across British Columbia. The Minister knows that. And let's be perfectly clear, these families, neither those families, the opposition, the leader of the Green Party, no one has said that there isn't a need to support other families in British Columbia. But what we have said, and parents have said, with loud voices, including on the legislature lawn today, is that there is no need to dismantle a model that is working. Instead, the minister could choose to build on it. It's not a case of either or for families in British Columbia, and she knows it. 
It's time for the minister to recognize the distress, the anxiety, and the fear that the announcement blindsided parents across this province. Perhaps the member from Vernon Monashi will recognize this story because it's Becky Buff from Vernon who wants her MLA to know what she has to say. She said, and I quote, your announcement brought me to tears. I am terrified that what you propose with this new system will uproot our already fragile and delicate day-to-day -day life. I am begging you to reconsider. Please don't take this away from us, end quote. I am certainly hoping that the MLA for Vernon Monashi is speaking to the minister to say, my constituent is asking you to listen. Will the minister do the right thing? It's not an unreasonable ask. Press the pause button. Consult in a way that should have taken place long before now. On behalf of the parents that are here today and across this province, please, we're asking the minister to do the right thing. Minister of Children and Family Development. Oh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, and it is really important to listen to families. Parents are experts in the lives of their children. Um, and of course, uh, parents who have children with support needs have been very powerful advocates for them, Honourable Speaker. Um, in 2019, we started a consultation process. We spoke to thousands of people, advocates, service providers, families. Um, and we were gathering information and hearing stories of how this, the patchwork of programs doesn't serve people well. And then the pandemic hit, and I understand people pivoted and services and families were just surviving. But we also saw, Honourable Speaker, even further weaknesses in the patchwork and, and the way of delivering some services to some families. It, for over 10 years, we've been hearing from the representative for children and youth as well, who also has been listening to families. And today she issued a statement, Honourable Speaker, she says, the current CYSN system does not work for many children with support needs in their families and must be transformed. All children and youth with support needs deserve access to equitable, timely, culturally attuned and community-based care, resources and supports. And that is what we are doing, Honourable Speaker. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, the representative for children and youth uh, uh, certainly had some recommendation in terms of what has to happen with the CYSN framework, uh, but nobody recommended clawing back individualized funding, and the minister completely ignores the recommendations that were made, such as increasing service provider capacity, addressing wait lists for services and assessments, and support diverse delivery options with family choice. Now, for weeks now, families and advocates have been begging and pleading with the NDP government to stop this clawback, yet they believe government is not listening and their MLAs are not listening. Now, the First Nations Leadership Council calls it, quote, a significant step backwards and one which we wholly reject. Like thousands of families across BC, we unequivocally reiterate, you must stop the rollout of your planned hub model, end quote. So Mr. Speaker, will the minister listen to Indigenous voices and stop the clawback? 
Minister. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, we know, actually, that in the current patchwork of programming, that Indigenous children and youth are underserved. We know that under the current patchwork of programming, many children get left behind, especially Indigenous children and youth. Our government is committed to building a culturally safe, trauma-informed, accessible system, a system of supports that will wrap around each unique child. And we have been consistently engaging with the First Nations Leadership Council, and we will continue to meet with Indigenous leaders and rights and title holders. This week, Honourable Speaker, I was at an engagement session hosted by FNLC and have started that conversation with rights and title holders because we need to have that ongoing engagement and discussion so that we can deliver services for their children and youth in the way that they want. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm not sure that the Minister has read the letter uh, that was recently delivered to her and uh, shared with all members here from the First Nations Leadership Council. And I'll quote from it. This, these are their words. It is bewildering to us that in 2021, given the understanding of the legacy of residential schools, you could dream up any proposal that involves increasing the role and responsibility, Mr. Speaker, of MCFD. Not in my words, the words of the First Nations Leadership Council. Not only that, but quote, your hub model will result in deepening the racism and discrimination our children face, end quote. Mr. Speaker, what does the minister have to say to the First Nations Leadership Council? Minister. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, we're putting children and youth at the centre of this work, and we're, we are recognising that Indigenous children and youth have been underserved for far too long. We've started to engage with Indigenous rights and title holders, and we'll continue that work. There are many different pathways that Indigenous communities can take. They might want to exercise their jurisdiction. They might want to uh, partner with an Indigenous agency or work with some other kind of partnership of service delivery for their children and youth. So we're going to continue that really important work, Honourable Speaker, um, and we will continue demonstrating our commitment to making sure that uh, we tackle the over-representation of Indigenous children and youth in the child welfare system as well. Honourable Speaker, we've been working with communities, we've changed provincial legislation, we've increased the funding to support out-of-care uh, out uh, placements so that children and youth can stay connected to family and to community and to culture. And there's a lot more work to do, but we are committed to doing that in this area, serving children and youth with uh, support needs as well as other areas of need. Member for Sanitary North End Islands. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Monday, the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation thought uh, my rhetoric was, quote, harsh and unhelpful, end quote. He blamed the disunity in the Wet'suwet'en uh, territory on the Wet'suwet'en people. Even, through the disun even though the disunity is rooted in the actions of this Crown government over decades, the people in this House know that they've amplified the chaos created by the Indian Act that's wholly disrupted Indigenous governance structures that took good care of domestic and international affairs. The, ministry, the minister said on Monday, quote, there has been, it's no secret, conflict between the elected and hereditary system, but we continue to do this historic work. Historic work. What historic work? Manipulating boundary disputes that were created by the modern treaty process 
to further divide and conquer in this colonial project? It's unhelpful that the minister scapegoats Indigenous people for the divisions that this Crown government policy deliberately created in our communities. The minister knows, like all the ministers before him, Indigenous people divided against each other are challenged to be united to do the real historic work, reconciling the history of Crown-Indigenous relations. My question is through you, Mr. Speaker, to the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation. From his perspective, has the historic work in the Wet'suwet'en Territory been successful? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable uh, Speaker, and I thank the member from the, for the question. Uh, I think all of us know that the, uh, the work around reconciliation uh, is, uh, is a difficult uh, and challenging. Uh, but what I can uh, tell him, that uh, every uh, minister in this government, every member of this government has been actively working to ensure that we are able to, uh, to work to resolve the challenges uh, that we face, uh, whether it's uh, with Wet'suwet'en or uh, other Indigenous nations around uh, this province. It is why we uh, uh, introduced and unanimously passed in this House uh, the uh, United Nations Declaration of Indigenous Peoples uh, legislation, which is a foundation in terms of reconciliation. Uh, we know that there are challenges. Uh, they are long-standing, but uh, I think all of us in this House are committed to resolving them. Member for Senate North End Island, supplemental. What we've actually seen, Mr. Speaker, is basically a throwback to the 19th century. Uh, the minister uh, and, and this government uh, continues to defend continues to advance and defend a resource colony mentality, Mr. Speaker. It was the Minister of Indigenous Relations in the 1990s who suggested that, uh, when he was a provincial negotiator, suggested that we'd uh, want to leverage residential school healing funds to, quote, sweeten the deal, end quote, for Indigenous nations to sign these rights-extinguishing treaties. And, you know, as we are talking about this right now, Mr. Speaker, as I'm asking this question, fully armed, militarized RCMP are rolling into the Wet'suwet'en to do exactly what they have always done on behalf of the political and corporate leaders of British Columbia, clear the land of Indigenous people. This government is still acting like that 19th century, century resource colony. The Minister of Indigenous Relations uh, is okay, apparently, with us utilizing an injunction process that has elevated a corporation's potential economic losses over Indigenous rights. It's deliberate, Mr. Speaker. This province has always used the RCMP to protect corporate interests. And on Monday, it was the minister who was offended by me raising these questions. Through you, Mr. Speaker, to the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, same question that I asked in my first question. From his perspective, has the historic work in the Wet'suwet'en territory that he talked about on Monday been successful? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I, give the, and I uh, thank the member for the question, and I will uh, reiterate the answer uh, that uh, this House, uh, this government, is committed to reconciliation. This House, this, this government is committed to, uh, to ensuring the implementation of the rights of Indigenous people through that legislation. It's also about bringing together unity, which the Minister of, uh, of, uh, of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation has spoken about in this House. 
It's why we have provided funding to help resolve some of the issues, the challenges that the Wet'suwet'en are facing between the elected and the hereditary. We are, we are continuing uh, that work and will continue that work. And I'd remind uh, the member uh, that, this, that, that this takes place in the context of, of courts who have a role, of this house that has a role. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And as I, have, uh, as I said when I got up, uh, this government is committed to that work and that work is going to continue. Opposition House Leader. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, earlier we heard the Minister uh, quote uh, a statement from the representative of Children and Youth, and uh, I'm not sure if she was reading from the same statement that came out today for immediate release or not, but let's take another look at that. It also says, sadly, the announcement has resulted in uncertainty, fear, anxiety, and stress for many families. It also says it is time to take a step back. Mr. Speaker, parents are rightly worried about this minister's just-trust-me attitude. A government document shows the government has zero plans to increase resources for children with diverse needs. In fact, it says, and I quote, based on the ministry's research, the current complement of professionals will make up the professionals in the new system, end quote. The government's not even planning on adding any more professionals, Mr. Speaker. This is what the speech and hearing BC people have to say, and I quote, we are concerned with the NDP government's response that suggests there are enough skilled professionals to meet the demand for service in these new hubs, end quote. Mr. Speaker, how can the minister possibly tell parents in the gallery and on the front lawn today that not only there's already enough service providers, but the system can handle up to 10,000 more children into it all at once. Minister of Children and Family Development. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. What the representative says is it's time to step back to address the uncertainty and fears and ensure clear information is available to families and advocates while not losing sight of the need to build a much better system of care for children and youth with support needs. Honourable Speaker, I have heard from a lot of families um, and I understand that there is concern and anxiety in the community and starting from Monday next week, Honourable Speaker, there are lots of engagement sessions for families and for service providers to be having conversations with ministry staff to hear and understand more detail about what the new system will look like. It's going to be delivered by community, for community, in community, and so we're going to be having those conversations to make sure that we're delivering a system or an, a, a safety net system of supports that's based on needs so children and youth in their community will be able to access services and in a timely way honorable speaker so that they're not held back waiting for a diagnosis but as soon as a parent has a concern for their child or an elder in the community or a, 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 a teacher at kindergarten that child will be able to access services and their unique needs will be identified and a, a team of multidisciplinary professionals as required will be wrapped around to deliver services in partnership with those parents in order to help that unique child achieve their goals. 
Member for Caribbean North. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Wendy Duke is a speech language pathologist, and she says that the government actually didn't consult with practitioners uh, prior to this announcement. And she says, and I quote, given the shortage of therapists in this province, where the heck is this government going to come up with the probably hundreds of clinicians needed for these programs? They're not going to get that resolved in three years, end quote. So will the Minister of Advanced Education outline what she is doing today to increase the seats and training needed, needed to meet the impacts of her government's changes? Minister of Children and Family Development. Well, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, uh, and thank you to the member for the question. I, um, I appreciate that there are some highly professional service providers out there across the whole of our province. I want to thank them for all the work that they're doing. And I've met with many of them as well. And I've been hearing from them. Um, and, and many service providers actually already deliver services to children and youth pre-diagnosis because they are being presented with needs. And they're telling us that they are looking forward to building capacity. They can see how um, a, a multidisciplinary team approach is successful for families, and, uh, and they're excited that in their community they're going to see uh, a pathway forward of, of building um, capacity and building services. Again, the, uh, the statement made by the representative for children and youth today, she says, Members. as species representative for children and youth, I have long been calling for a fundamental shift in the CYSN system. I'm in favor of the long-term direction as laid out by Minister Dean. In particular, I support the shift towards a needs-based rather than a diagnostically driven CYSN system. This shift will enable children to receive timely supports based on assessed developmental needs even before they receive a diagnosis, which currently can take many years. I also support the intention to enhance community-based access to a diverse array of care and supports from infancy through to young adulthood. You. And that's what we're doing, Honourable Speaker. Member for Peace River North. Now, thanks, Honourable Speaker. Hopefully I get an answer to my question uh, this afternoon. Katie McCready is the parent of an older child with autism here in Victoria. She says that her child's conditions do not disappear at 18 years old. Honourable Speaker, parents now have no idea what is going to happen as their children grow older without new resources in place. The big question mark is, what will happen to youth with diverse needs who age out of the Ministry of Children and Families and move into the care of Community Live in BC under the Minister of Social Development? With the Minister of Children and Families' ill-thought-out plan, we've heard nothing from the Minister of Social Development. So can the Minister of Social Development tell concerned parents like Katie what changes he has made to accommodate the new pressures that will be put on CLBC. Minister for Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, we're putting children and youth at the centre of, of this uh, system that we're building. 
We know that there's a patchwork of programming that is leaving too many children behind. And so what we're doing is we're making sure that children and youth with support needs, as soon as an issue is identified, they'll be able to receive services. Now, the question of a diagnosis is, it can be a good tool, it can be a useful tool, but children shouldn't have services locked away from them whilst they're waiting for a diagnosis. That is too much of a critical time in a child's life, Honourable Speaker. So children will still be able to access a Members. diagnosis. So Members, let the Minister answer, please. It's okay. No argument with the Chair. Minister will so continue. the development of this system that's going to better serve children and youth across British Columbia does not have an impact further down the line on, uh, on um, uh, services as adults. Children and, youth will children and youth will continue to be supported as they are um, current in the current system. Children and youth will continue to be supported by support workers from our ministry to make sure that a transition into an, another system is Thank successful. You. Member for Fraser Nicola. Well, Mr. Speaker, I'm hoping I can get an answer. Families have been begging and pleading with NDP MLAs to end their callous uh, clawback, but the NDP are not listening or even responding to their emails. Tanya Kemp is a constituent of the finance minister. She says, and I quote, What is it going to take for you to listen to the real people whose lives are affected? I no longer trust that parents will be heard by the NDP government. It's like speaking to robots." End quote. Will the minister finally listen to tens of thousands of parents, including those here protesting today, and end her clawback? Minister of Children and Family Development. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, it is really important to be listening to families and all the way in the journey of supporting and serving children and youth, we will always continue to listen with, work with, partner with um, families. Honourable Speaker, we started our consultation with families in 2019 and then the pandemic hit and we saw in 2020 uh, even more woefully the inadequacy of uh, the way that programming was delivered. We are continuing our engagement with families, Honourable Speaker. There are engagement sessions that families are able to take part in starting on Monday next week. And as we roll out the early implementation areas, we'll also be doing evaluations and hearing from families there as well. I just want to um, re just restate our commitment. Children and youth who need services will receive services. They will receive them based on their needs and in a timely way. That includes children who currently receive services and it will include children who are left behind currently as well. And it will include children who might be waiting for a diagnosis, but it means that they will get services earlier. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Nicole Kaler is here from Surrey and she's worried, really worried about the Minister's decision to claw back funding for individualised autism programmes. And she's has an added worry. As a black woman, the hub will, she's worried that the hub will exacerbate the bias and discrimination that many feel when interacting with the provincial government. Having the ability to put her child's interests first, she has created a system that works for the family in a culturally sensitive way. Can the minister explain to Nicole how the hub system can possibly know her child's needs better than she does? 
Minister. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. It is absolutely vital that we put children and youth at the centre of our service provision. Um, and, and we will make sure that the unique needs of all children and youth are recognised in the system, Honourable Speaker. That includes um, all personal and, and unique lived experiences and uh, identity as well, Honourable Speaker. Um, and the members asked earlier on about Indigenous children and youth. So um, we will absolutely make sure, as I've said, that we're going to um, create uh, indigenous, an Indigenous pathway for services to be delivered in Indigenous communities in, uh, in ways that Indigenous communities want those services to be delivered. And again, the representative for children and youth said today, if we as a society are going to meet the call of Article 23 of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which speaks to the rights of all children and youth with, with special needs to access care and support and live a life of dignity, belonging and connection, then the current system needs to be transformed. We're following the recommendations of the representative. Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, more, uh, more bad news today for forest-dependent families, forest-dependent communities in BC. The uh, U.S. Department of Commerce has released its final determination on the duties being imposed on BC lumber exports, softwood lumber exports to the US starting next week. The combined countervail anti-dumping duty will double, double to 18%. What's that gonna do? Access to the US market is going to become that much more difficult. Large producers here in BC are undoubtedly going to shift production from BC mills to American-based operations, and more BC, or BC workers are going to be put out of work. The government was warned back in May. Mm -hmm. They were warned in May that this was going to happen, and they've done nothing to prevent it. In fact, you can say they've made it worse mm -hmm. by introducing their own set of policies, Mr. Speaker, that they know and admit will cost thousands of jobs in the BC forest sector. Will the minister confirm today, now, that the American tariffs are doubling? Will she explain why her government has done nothing to secure a negotiated settlement to this long-standing trade dispute? And will she tell the House how many more forestry jobs are going to be lost in addition to the thousands of jobs that will be lost because of her own misguided policies. Minister of Forests. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. And we are committed to defending our forest industry against unfair and illegal tariffs. Our government continues to engage with our counterparts in Ottawa and Washington to fight for a fair deal for workers, industry, and communities. In fact, my colleague, the Minister of Jobs, has met with Canadian and American officials responsible for international trade to discuss this very issue. Alongside our federal partners, we will fight these unjustified duties through the dispute settlement process available to us. Separately, we recognize the boom and bust cycle of the past has hurt communities. That's why our new vision, 
That's why our new vision for forestry focuses on long-term, innovative jobs like made in BC wood products. So products, Mr. Speaker, so communities can thrive for generations to come. Members. We're supporting workers, we're supporting communities to overcome the challenges of the sector. Resolving Members will come to order. 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 Minister will continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Resolving the softwood lumber dispute is a top priority for our government. The members might think this is funny, but they did nothing. They did nothing under their watch. Members. The Members. U.S. Department of Commerce has dragged out this dispute and imposed unfair and unfounded duties on Canadian software experts. Our forest policies are trade compliant, and we will continue to defend the tens of thousands of British Columbians who rely on the forest sector for their livelihood. Members. Member for, Member for Epsford West. Member for Abbotsford West will come to order now. Minister will continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In partnership with the federal government, we will fight these unjustified duties through the dispute, dispute settlement process that is available to us. In addition, our government will continue to pursue growth in markets for BC wood products, both at home and abroad, by promoting innovation and expanding trade relationships with global markets. As part of our new vision for forestry, we are already working with the sector, including workers, communities, First Nations, and industry, to ensure it remains competitive now and into the future. Unlike the balance question period. 